Welcome to Hear Us Wisconsin, Youth Voices on Youth Justice. My name is Bria Brown, and I'll be guiding you through this episode. In this special series within a series, we are sharing the full uncut interviews from the professionals who were featured in this podcast. You heard snippets of their interviews throughout the whole series, and we're so excited to share the full interviews with you so that you can gain the insight and knowledge that they have to share. In this episode, you'll hear the full interview of Shannon Brady, WIDCF, Out of Home Care Section Manager. I wanted to uh, ask you a few questions. Can you talk a little bit based on uh, your experience and your position about how a system like WAPACA, DHHS, implements um, uh, best practices like trauma-informed care? So in my opinion, the place to start with implementing um, trauma-informed care, becoming a trauma-informed agency or system is to really start with the individuals that make up that system. And so if we know that, um, you know, trauma or adversities uh, happen in the context of relationships, we also know that um, people are healed in the context of relationships. And... um, we as um, human service agencies um, are not in the best position to help others on their healing journey if we ourselves are not um, well and taken care of. And I think that oftentimes the systems um, try to start with implementing direct services or models to, to those that they're working with, and they forget about making sure that their workforce is well taken care of. Um, so that would be my first um, starting point um, is to really make sure that people have a good understanding of um, where their workforce is and does the workforce have the support it needs to stay well um, so that, you know, that that saying that you can't give to others what you don't have for yourself. Hmm. That's great. That's a perspective that we haven't really um, heard, so that's a great addition. So one of the things that uh, the youth talked about a lot was they would have the workers that work with them in these systems um, sort of be more more trained, for one, on trauma-informed care, and uh, a little bit more responsive to identifying um, both the assets of the youth and and sort of their individualness. Can you speak a little bit about how uh, doing some work internally and making sure that you have a a strong uh, workforce can um, get get, uh, us closer to those reforms that the youth are asking about? Yeah. Um, well, I think, you know, really a part of that kind of your your own balance and well-being is being in a position to kind of respond in an empathetic, understanding, and trauma-informed way when things happen. Um, if, we're, if we're not able to keep ourselves regulated, you know, you're not going to be able to stay regulated in response to very typical pain-based behaviors that our youth demonstrate often um, as a result of the system interventions. Um, and so, you know, when we're not regulated, we tend to kind of move into emotional brain um, and respond um, in reactionary ways, in punitive ways, 
um, instead of being in a, a calm place to be able to really assess kind of what what is this person trying to tell me with the behavior that, that we're seeing right now um, and really kind of get to that root cause. Um, and really, you know, if we're not incorporating the strengths or assets or sparks um, that you had said was mentioned by youth into the work, either by providing opportunities or supporting or highlighting and affirming those pieces, we're really doing a, a injustice on just supporting their development as a human being. Um, and, you know, that type of skill development and competency building is an important component in a a restorative justice model, um, and I think right now the system is not set up to um, kind of do that nice balance of a restorative justice model between skill building, um, support to victims, as well as safety. The system right now focuses very heavily on safety and doesn't allow our youth um, opportunities to practice their own skill development. So in, how long have you been in, in this position or working within this system? I've been in this position for five years. I've been working within human services for seven years. And prior to that, um, I worked with hospitalized youth um, as a child life specialist. Oh, wow. Okay. So sort of over the trajectory of your career and these experiences, um, what progress do you think we have made in, in um, addressing the needs of youth, in particular um, youth who may be in the child welfare system or in the juvenile justice system? And what more um, progress do we need to make? Well, I think um, what progress do we need to make? Um, I think in regards to child welfare, the, there has been a market shift in the movement. If you only, took child, if you only take trauma-informed care, which is only a small you know, subset of the complexity of kind of the approach to the work that needs to change, there's been market movement on understanding the impacts of trauma um, and what children need to, to heal from trauma and be in relationship. And so I think that the child welfare system um, has done a better job applying those concepts and the holistic approach of what human beings need to be well has been more easily applied at the state and federal level to the child welfare system. I think that the system right now is still very divided in the sense of uh, there's, I mean, Everyone who knows me knows that I will not even tolerate the conversation around dual status youth um, because, in my opinion, there's no such thing. Um, you know, they're, they're one in the same. It just happens to have an age differential there of pain-based behaviors that are showing up as crimes. Um, and so... Um, there, where I'm going with that is that then that application doesn't transfer over into the youth justice system mm -hmm. because we move into many adult criminal um, thought processes and therefore the system still reacts very punitive, teach them a lesson, um, reactionary. And, and that stigma is so strong right now despite the fact that there's more evidence and a stronger body of research on the negative outcomes within youth justice. There's more research there than there is in child welfare. 
and yet the systems refuse to interpret the data around the negative impacts of secure detention and the pipelines to prison and what we know about touching the legal system as a juvenile just one time and how can we get to prevention and diversion, um, but the system still wants to push with the heavy hand and the punitive kind of teach them a lesson type of approach. You said that, um, you know, the approach of trauma-informed care is just one aspect of a lot of comp additional complex factors. Um, <laughs> can you, uh, I don't know, off the top of your head, create like a, you know, what are some of those other complex factors in your, in your perspective and in your mind? Yeah. So really, um, you know, if you t if you take this the um, the sentence or the statement trauma informed, you know, underscoring informed care is really kind of put as you know you could put 1.0 behind it. And even if you're the most informed person system program and you don't do anything differently with that information, then what's the point of being informed? Mm -hmm. And so we're starting to kind of scratch out that word of trauma-informed, and are we trauma-effective in our work? Are we trauma-responsive? Are we trauma-sensitive? You know, I don't know where that's going to end up going, but simply being trauma-informed and knowing the impacts of trauma and adversities and knowing the prevalence, and if you, if you, if you know all of that and you don't do anything differently with the information, um, you know, that's, that's essentially worthless. So, you know, the, the body of understanding is one, and then having the willingness to change your perspective, the system's perspective, and um, is another piece. I had already spoken about the importance of um, workforce well-being. And really when we talk about systems change, in my opinion, particularly around child welfare and youth justice, in order to really make the full shift of the change, um, we are going to have to, as a, as a society, um, be able to have conversations around stigma and um, risk tolerance um, because the systems right now, particularly, well, both child welfare and, and youth justice are very strongly focused around physical safety in the way of some type of containment. Um, and so if you take child welfare, the system intervenes in the effort to keep children safe we physically remove them and put them somewhere else to keep them more physically safe, and we forget about that we're not providing any psychological or emotional safety. We're actually causing harm and additional trauma there. And we do the same thing in, in juvenile justice in, in regards to either personal safety or community safety, and we, we move children and youth and we lock them away in bricks and mortar. And we once that happens, we forget to, uh, and don't allow ourselves because of the stigmas or the kind of not in my backyard, I don't want to talk about um, these situations, we, we don't acknowledge the fact that children are still harmed in secure detention, that they don't keep, they're not safe there. Children are still harmed in foster care um, or residential or congregate care and things like that. And so I think that in order to have the full system change, some of those conversations that make um, people uncomfortable because um, they're kind of tabooed and you know, out of sight, out of mind, um, are gonna are gonna have to happen. And knowing that, it, in, there's no guarantee of, of ultimate safety all the time because we're dealing with human pe human beings. And so, if we value relational connections and what all people need is a f 
a family unit instead of the current both systems treating the individual child or youth we're going to have to intentionally design systems to work within the family unit and that's going to be a different level of risk tolerance than the systems currently designed to handle. Thank you for listening to Hear Us. If you would like additional information and resources, please visit our website, racetoequity.net. We want to extend a special thank you to the youth who bravely shared their experiences with us. We also want to thank the professionals who shared their insights with us. Thank you to Ward FM in Madison, Wisconsin, and the Underground Collective in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, for recording space and expertise. And finally, thank you, Erica Nelson, for forging this project. This podcast was made possible by the Annie E. Casey Foundation, B. Brown Productions, and the Kids Forward Race to Equity team. Editing and narration was done by Bria Brown of B. Brown Productions, narration by Alexa Turner, and the cover art by Walker TKL. Please subscribe to Hear Us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you so much.